you once again for tuning into the Psychedelic Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Marie, here with my husband, Rob. Hey, everybody. Hello. So today, we are discussing some of the scariest mental disorders of all time. We are reading most of the information, or paraphrasing, from onlinepsychologydegree.info. We're going to start off with what I find to be a very interesting name. Robert, what do you think about this? Alice in Wonderland Syndrome. First of all, I know that Alice in Wonderland is pure fictional fantasy. LSD trip. It can be paralleled to an LSD trip in real life. It's definitely the LSD trip in cartoon form. But there's also a real movie. There's a lot of bizarre things that happen in this movie that I can only imagine what syndrome would come from that. Okay, so what's really interesting about this is it has a pseudonym and it is known as the Todd Syndrome. Alice in Wonderland may be pure fantasy as you were saying, but... One of Alice's more bizarre experiences shares its characteristics with what they call a scary mental disorder, the Todd Syndrome. Alice in Wonderland Syndrome causes one's surroundings to appear distorted. Just as Alice grows too tall for the house, those suffering from Alice in Wonderland Syndrome will hear sounds either quieter or louder than they actually are. See objects larger or smaller than reality, and even lose sense of accurate velocity or textures. This terrifying disorder, which has been described as an LSD trip, uh, I so just said that. It is an LSD trip, but with, without the euphoria. With no euphoria involved. Yes. That is very scary to me. Apparently, it even perverts one's own body image. Fortunately, Alice in Wonderland Syndrome is extremely rare and in most cases affects those in their 20s who have a brain tumor or a history of drug use. What do you think about this? I just can't believe that this is an actual disorder. You would think that it would be more publicized. You would think more of the general population would know about this. This should be an infamous syndrome, and the fact that they named it after Alice in Wonderland is amazing to me, because that's supposed to be a Disney... Is it Disney? But Alice in Wonderland is supposed to be a children's book, a children's movie, children's cartoon, whatever else they do, and the fact that this very terrifying syndrome is named after Alice in Wonderland is kind of crazy. Because I already knew Alice in Wonderland had some sinister connotations, but (laughs) for them to name a disorder about it and to kind of put that spotlight on the subliminal meanings of Alice in Wonderland is very intriguing to me. I do want to know why they have it listed as the Todd Syndrome as well. I get the Alice in Wonderland aspect, considering you're seeing things at different sizes and whatnot and you're hearing things or not. Whoever came up with it, his name was Todd, and he based this belief off of Alice in Wonderland. Todd syndrome. My name's Todd. I founded this. I found stars. I founded this syndrome. 
you know, we're going to name it the Todd syndrome. It's going to be my syndrome. Uh-huh. I would love to talk to somebody that has this. I can't imagine what that would be like to see things in such a distorted manner throughout their entire life. And when you would realize with this syndrome that it's not normal and that other people don't see it the way that you do. The second is alien hand syndrome. Ew. It's been used in a lot of horror movie plot twists, but this syndrome is not just limited to the fictional world. Meaning what? This is a very rare mental disorder, actually, where the afflicted person experiences a complete loss of control of a hand or a limb. And yes, there are perverted connotations there. There's a certain dead hand sexual act in which you can perform. I'm sure a lot of people's minds are going there, but this is no time for jokes, guys. The uncontrollable limb seems to take on a mind of its own. Creepy. And it has its own will. And people that suffer from this syndrome reported that their alien limb attempted to choke either themselves or a loved one, ripping clothes off and scratching them to the point of blood being shed. This alien hand syndrome is mostly diagnosed to people that already have Alzheimer's and one other disease. Who knows why? I mean, there's got to be some neurological research on that, right? I am very curious to know what parts of the brain are being reactive to the movement or anything that happens with that limb. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be neurologically based. It has to be a result of imbalance or something in your nervous system. Apparently... Some people, as a result of brain surgery, their brain's hemispheres separate. So this can be a contributing factor to have this disimbalance within the body. Unfortunately, there's no cure for alien hand syndrome. And those that are afflicted with this, they often have to have their hands constantly occupied doing something. Or they have to use their other hand to control their alien hand. Those are the two choices if you have alien hand syndrome, apparently. Interesting. <laughs> this know, is crazy. My heart goes out to if you are Alice in Wonderland syndrome people. Or, and alien hand. And also that. Yes. So, my, our condolences. I mean, this is some I mean, this is shocking stuff. Yeah. And so. I'm surprised it's not more well-known, like, Nobody's let it be known that these things happen. I'm just figuring out for the first time. Now, am I surprised? No, not surprised. Nothing surprises me. Just the fact that it's so obscure and people don't know about these phenomenons that are so extreme. Moving on, we're going to go to apotemnophilia. Apotemnophilia. Nophilia. Okay, so this word that we just tried to dissect is known as the body integrity disorder and amputee identity disorder. Uh So I can kind of guess. What in the hell is going on? 
I can kind of guess where this might be going. Really? I have no idea. Yes. So it's a neurological disorder characterized by the overwhelming desire to amputate. And I've heard of this. Oh, have you? To amputate or damage healthy parts of the body i no. have, you've never heard of this there no there are people that want to cut off their leg absolutely feel like not there are people that i have read about they want to cut off their leg they feel like it why do they hurt. want to do that they believe that it doesn't belong to them who does it belong to it's a neurological disorder and they no i mean can't answer that either. within their neurological disorder who do some patients feel that their own limbs belong to God. That's really not. Is it like a sacrificial thing, or, no. or is it? It's a disorder. But who do they feel like their limbs belong to? They that... just feel like it doesn't belong on them. So, well, what, who the hell would it belong to? Though not much is known about this strangely terrifying disorder, it is believed to be associated with damage to the right parietal lobe of the brain oh it stems from brain damage neurological yes brain damage neurological brain damage has to do with brain is where it stems from yes neurological is that makes sense so brain they weren't born saying hey these arms are not mine this is not mine it does not belong on me it stems from brain damage where it's kind of it's something they can't control. It's irrational. It's damage. It's damaged. Just like so many of the mental disorders that we talk about, like OCD, there's so many different factors. It could be genetic, environmental, neurological, so many different variables on top of it. And what makes this very interesting to me, because I do know a little bit about this, the vast majority of surgeons won't amputate healthy limbs on request. Good. But. Good for them. Some sufferers of this disorder, and I will try to say it again, apotemnophilia. Apotemnophilia. There you go. Something like that. Feel forced to amputate Mm. on their own. So I've actually read stories about people cutting out the bottom of their tongue Wait, what do you mean the bottom the bottom of the The vein that connects their tongue to their mouth? They feel like it's not a part of their body and there's no reasoning Wait, behind this. Why so the- they cut it oh, off. Okay, you answered my question. I was gonna say why that? There's no reasoning. Okay. It just does not feel right to them. Interesting. I mean, it doesn't necessarily feel right to me, but I'm feeling it right now and it just feels like it's bounding my tongue to the bottom of my mouth. That seems useful to me. Right. But I could be wrong. It could be useless. Of those who have had a limb removed by a doctor, interestingly enough, most are actually happy with the decision after the fact. So good mm. for them. If they don't want their arm or leg, somebody else could probably use it. Let's hope that like on your IDs and licenses, you can donate that part of your body to science So, unlike plastic surgery, Botox, and things like that, where people are, like, hell-bent on getting this certain procedure done to their body to enhance their beauty, most of the time they're not happy coming out of that surgery and in the future. But these people, most of the time, are satisfied after they amputate themselves. 
I guess they're really, really passionate about that. I mean, no regrets there. The Capra Delusion is named after somebody with that last name. He was French, he was a psychiatrist, and he was very fascinated by the illusion of doubles. So he likes twins. Twins, exactly. Apparently, this is a very debilitating mental disorder where people believe that everyone around them have been replaced by imposters. So actually, it's not twins. It's a replacement. So everyone around them was who this person with the delusion originally thought they were. Like a doppelganger. But at some point, they were replaced by a clone, a doppelganger, and an imposter. Furthermore, the imposters are usually thought to be planning to harm the person who is afflicted. How dare they? That's the main component of this. The imposter is trying to harm you if you have this delusion. This delusion is extremely rare. And like lots of things that we've discussed is most often seen after somebody has trauma to their brain or people that have been diagnosed with dementia, also schizophrenia or people that have seizures. What do you think about that, babe? I think that a lot of people probably suffer from something like this to some extent and that it's not really a terrifying mental disorder as this website is saying. A lot of people with anxiety or other mental disorders probably have these types of delusions. This is a weird one. The Cotard delusion. There is a healthy interest for most people watching things such as The Walking Dead. We are probably all guilty to some extent. I do not watch The Walking Dead. I am the exception. A lot of people love zombie stuff. I love zombie stuff too. I have a lot of crazy zombie dreams. I will admit that. More power to all of you. But there's this. The Kotar delusion. This scary mental disorder causes the sufferer to believe that they are the Walking Dead. And maybe even a ghost. Some of them think their body is decaying and they've lost all blood and internal organs. Wait, why would they think that? Say they've just gone through a long period of time where they haven't been injured. Clearly, they haven't lost this extensive amount of blood. And for damn sure, you'd remember if you lost your small intestine. So, if none of that shit happened, then why the f*** would they think that happened to them? I would assume that something like this delusion being the main component of this Cotard delusion leads me to believe that somewhere in the DSM-5 there's something very similar to it that probably is very neurologically based that I can't put my finger on. In the DSM-5? There's probably something like like it. Rotting body? In there. Yeah, such as with schizophrenic patients. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah. Schizophrenic patients could definitely think that they're a decaying zombie. I could see that. The feeling of having a rotting body is usually part of this delusion, and it shouldn't come as a surprise 
that many sufferers of Kotar delusion experience severe depression. In some cases, it causes sufferers to starve themselves to death. This terrifying disorder was first described in 1880 by neurologist Jules Cotard, though fortunately Cotard's delusion has proven extremely rare. The most well-known case of Cotard delusion actually occurred in Haiti, where a man was absolutely convinced that he had died of AIDS and was in hell. I think that that's definitely a plausible version of somebody's form of hell that they have to go to. I'm sure people experience these things. These are not myths. These are all things that people have gone through. Whether it's justified or not, they actually believe that these things are happening. So in their realities, these things are actually happening to them. People around somebody that's afflicted, they won't see it, but this person really is experiencing these things in their reality. Keep that in mind. The next one is the Diogene Syndrome. It's more referred to as something that we in this country see as a household name, which is hoarding. Something that we're morbidly curious about, that we love to watch people do and make fun of. Or whatever, but it's not really a joke. There's so it's many actu- shows. It's on actually it. a disorder, and I'm not perfect. I've been like, why don't you just throw that away? There's ten people that will lift that useless thing out of your house for you. Why are you holding on to it? But these people can't help it. It's one of the most misunderstood mental disorders. It's named after the Greek philosopher Diogenes of Sinope, who was sort of ironically somebody that was considered a minimalist so he believed in having the least amount of possessions as possible which is ironic because a hoarder tries to have as many things as possible so the syndrome is usually characterized by the overwhelming desire to collect seemingly random items an emotional attachment is almost always formed to that item in addition to all of the uncontrollable hoarding People with this syndrome often show extreme self-neglect in every way possible. They have extreme apathy towards themselves and other people, social withdrawal, and they have no shame for these habits. It's really, really common among the elderly, as I'm sure a lot of people have seen with these TV shows and stuff like that. People with dementia... And people who have, in some point in their lives, been abandoned. So it's an abandonment issue. They don't want to let go of things because they're afraid that they're abandoning these things that they've created a bond with. Or people who have lacked a stable home environment. Actually, I think that this could easily be a confusing concept for so many people. There are people that like to collect items from the places they live And then there are the people that have uncontrollable hoarding OCD-type personality traits where they go to a family dollar, for example, like a lot of the TV shows you've all watched, and just pick up items that they don't necessarily need. So they're collecting items that literally have almost no meaning. No purpose. There's no meaning, no purpose. I don't know if this is a neurological thing or what. You're listening to exactly what we're learning. The least expertise that you've ever known you're listening to. But we are common sense smart. 
So that counts for something. So, yeah, I mean, people could hoard based off of trauma. People could hoard based off of this neurological disorder. It can be different. Here's one that I've always been very interested in, dissociative identity disorder. People get so confused with dissociative, and we've already brought it up before here. With schizophrenia, people think that, split personality, all that kind of stuff. So this is a personality disorder. This is multiple personality disorder. This is multiple personality disorder. That is correct. Yes, it is terrifying. I cannot imagine what these people have to deal with. It is in so many different TV shows and movies, and it's very misunderstood. Less than 0.1% of people that suffer from dissociative Mm. identity disorder, aka DID, have two or three different identities, sometimes more. Wow. This is why it gets very confusing when it comes to people that have multiple personalities. Less than 0.1%. This is extremely rare. Here's the thing, though. People that suffer from DID can cycle through all of these personalities. They can be whatever identity they're mm. in or character, whatever you want to call it. They have a baseline of one of one identity. They can do this for hours. Ooh, a manipulative split personality type. They can do it for hours or years. That is insane. I'm not saying you're insane if you have DID. I'm just saying the amount of time is insane to me as somebody that is an outsider. These people have no idea that they're switching. When they do switch, we don't know where it actually comes from, just like we don't know about so many of the personality disorders. You're right. If it's a disorder, there's no choice here. It's something that's decided for you i'm sure there are cases where people with severe severe trauma develop a split personality where they have maybe two personas but dissociative identity disorder is not the same as having a split personality where you've got your normal self and then you have your alter or whatever you moonlight as it's not the same yeah these people that have this syndrome, they can't live normal lives. They just can't. It it doesn't work. So they end up in mental institutions almost 100% of the time that happens. The next one we have here is factitious disorder. I love the word factitious. It sounds very (laughs) sensual. Factitious. Factitious. Apparently, this is a scary one. I mean, not I mean, like it's in the list. not like any of the other ones weren't scary, but this mental disorder has characteristics of having an obsession with being sick. Oh, I know people like this. I have never heard of anything like this. Certain people think they are ill all the time, mentally, physically, whatever. They're thinking that they are as they perpetuate it into reality. These people that have this disorder they want to be sick. They're obsessed with it. They love the feeling. I'm assuming it's for attention, but I'm about to see what it actually is. Most people with this disorder will intentionally make themselves ill in order to receive treatment. That's what I thought. This reminds me of women, and I love all people, but let me just tell you, there are some women out there, understandably, they 
have a bad relationship, so they want to get pregnant because they know that the attention that comes with being pregnant is going to be given to them kind of correlates with this. They want that attention, like you were saying. This is different from being a hypochondriac because hypochondriacs have the fear that they're going to be ill, but people with factitious disorder actually want to be ill and crave to be ill. They'll just pretend to be sick. They'll use elaborate stories, give you long lists of symptoms that they supposedly have. They'll even jump from hospital to hospital and pay whatever money that they have to to portray this image that they're sick when they're really not. So this type of obsession with sickness can stem from past trauma or trauma that you have from being previously ill. This is a really rare one. It affects less than 0.5 of the population and there is no known cure for it, but it's often able to be kept at bay with certain psychotherapy techniques. This is a narcissistic trait in my Mm, opinion. Definitely narcissistic. I would not consider this to be a real mental disorder. This right. is an underlying the, yeah. disorder, in my opinion. I'm not the, saying I know anything about this. I agree with that completely. And I, I wasn't even going to say anything. I was ready to move on to the next one. But you're right. This is just a little detailed byproduct of being narcissistic. So somebody that has narcissistic personality disorder, they can create this whole persona Shout out to our narcissistic episodes. We have three parts. Check that out. Very enlightening. And we were just finding out about it as we went along. And we uncovered a lot just through three short episodes. So these people are narcissists. They just have it narrowed down to a specific way in which they fulfill their narcissistic desires. They're getting all this praise. They're getting all of this pity. They're getting all this sympathy. Through being sick. So you could say that's a narcissist. Factitious disorder. If we're going to correlate that with narcissistic personality disorder. Probably has other components attached to it. And it's not all sick based. This is just one of the components of what they're suffering from with narcissistic personality disorder. Possibly. These are just our opinions. And most likely, I mean, to us, you know, we're allowed to say what we are partial to and impartial to. We have that right in this country. That's what we think. But, you know, we're responsible people. We will say those are just our opinions. So the second we're presented with something that we believe is more feasible, uh, we are always open to admit that we're wrong and there's something greater that we didn't think of. So moving on. There's something that I've never heard of called the, and forgive me if I'm wrong with my pronunciation, but I see it as the Kluver-Busi syndrome. Basically, it's described as somebody craving the taste of a book. or Yeah, or wanting, here's, there's more, wanting to have sex with a car. I have heard of this. Likes the smells of books, wants to have sex with cars. Not necessarily both, 
at the same time. Not they're, in that order. They're just giving examples. I didn't say at the same time. Oh, smelling <laughs> book while humping engine. <laughs> what the hell? Have you not heard of people that I mean, are I, interested in cars? Because I have, okay, actually. Not in particular. But I am aware that there are people that are like this. I'm aware that anything is possible and there is infancy in the way that people can be sick. And it's not even that they're quote-unquote sick in the head. Most anything regarding mental health is comprised of past traumas, okay, genetics, mm-hmm. it's hereditary, mm-hmm. and it's neurological, and there is a lot of scientific backup to prove that. With this, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> it, it can be hereditary. It can be I don't developed. know what it is. Maybe you just really saying, like your Subaru. I've been so sensitive and understanding and justifying the people that have these disorders, which I still stand by. It is not their fault a lot of times. So I will justify that. I will stick up for these people because that's what I believe. But you get to the Kluver Boosie. You crave the taste of books. You want to smash your car and not in a collision. That's one example. These people. So either. Let me get into it. You think that your car has the potential to be pleasured in that way. Stop. Or you you get pleasure from the car. It's not just a sexual attraction to cars. It's inanimate objects. Okay. It's not just cars. The people that are listening to us want to know that. But one of the main proponents is automobiles, right? I can't stick up for that. I, I honestly can't stick up for that. Let's get into what it's about. So this mental disorder is characterized mostly by memory loss. That's very surprising to me, but also not really. Okay. I can sort of understand why somebody with memory loss might have a weird What the affinity. hell does that have to do with having sex with your car? Okay, let's get more into or, it. Or getting turned on by the smell of books. Paper. <laughs> right. They have a sexual attraction to inanimate objects like automobiles. But not surprisingly, those with Kluver whatever syndrome often <laughs> I do not even want to say. So they have a severe brain injury. Not surprisingly, the people that suffer from this disorder have trouble recognizing objects or people that should be familiar. I would personally associate that with the hippocampus part of the brain. So now I feel bad for coming down on these Kluver Boosie victims. It's neurological. That is not natural behavior. I don't know. You can't really come down on people that do any of these extreme things because they literally can't help it so i feel bad because this yeah like tina said this does stem from having brain trauma severe brain injury so they don't even know that they're serenading a car so yeah memory loss can be something that someone has dealt with their entire lives Or something that is perpetuated by a type of really deep PTSD in which they suffer a type of memory loss. And that's why I think that it has something to do with the hippocampus or the frontal lobe 
No, you're right. You're right. Or the um, sorry, temporal. The temporal. Oh, that's exactly what temporal. I was going to say. I was going to cognition. Say yeah, hippocampus or temporal lobe, from what I know. Yeah, we state our opinions and then we figure out later. Yeah, we're uh, figuring it out with you guys. We like de- we debunk things. Let's debunk this we together. All, but only when it's necessary. This is not something that can be cured. So either. Somebody had such severe trauma that they literally can't distinguish one inanimate object from another and they can have sexual attractions to these things because they don't see them for what they are. But either way, it's not curable. So it's it's not their fault, whether it was trauma or anything else. It's not their fault. I don't know what it feels like to be that, but I just know that these people probably did not choose to exhibit these behaviors and live this kind of lifestyle. I'm curious to know the percentage of the population, at least in the U.S., that suffer from this syndrome. It's not listed here where Mm -hmm. we are getting our information from, which, once again, if you want to look into it, it's onlinepsychologydegree.info. I also really quickly want to say, if you do want to get more information from us and hear our perspectives, go to patreon.com slash podcast. Let us know what you think we should talk about next, or if we should go in depth about any of these disorders, syndromes. The next syndrome we have is called the Paris syndrome. It's extremely odd. It causes an individual to become completely overwhelmed while they're visiting the city of Paris. Just the city of Paris. They have a complete meltdown by being in Paris. Weird. I've been there. I don't see why. Actually, having been in Paris, it's very overpopulated. And with so many different types of people that don't even speak your language for the most part and not even But that could Persian be anywhere. People. It's Paris in particular. Right. People have extreme uncomfortability and have anxiety attacks from being in Paris. It's a lot of tourists there. I can understand not knowing the language of everybody around you. You want to know what's weird about it? Most of the people that have this syndrome are Japanese tourists. Oh, I was born in Japan. I know you were. So out of the 6 million Japanese tourists that come to Paris each year, one or two dozen of them experience this. Who did these studies? I don't know. but I have to know. I'm going to have to do further research. Yeah, this is crazy. So they have symptoms of extreme blankets of anxiety that just overwhelms them they have depersonalization they forget who the hell they even are just by going to paris what derealization persecutory ideas hallucinations and some forms of delusions acute delusions yes yeah i wonder why that is So these people literally are just broken down to their core just by going to Paris. 
completely demoralized, filled with anxiety. They don't even know who they are. They forget who they are. They don't know their identity. They don't know what's reality. They think they're being persecuted. They see things. What do they see? I want to talk to somebody. With I don't know. Paris We're going to. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. I've never heard of any of these. And we'll have to like really dig into these uh, further. We definitely will. Because this is some, this is some uh, eye-opening type stuff here. As you can probably imagine, doctors can only guess what causes this. Because most of the people that are diagnosed with Paris syndrome, they have no history of mental illness. What? The leading hypothesis is that... I was right. This neurological disorder is somehow triggered by the language barrier of tourists going to France. Physical and mental exhaustion and the reality of what Paris actually is compared to the idealized version that is portrayed to us Yeah, so that have not been there. So when you go to Paris... Wow. You see these beautiful pictures of the Eiffel Tower or what have you. I've been there, and I can tell you this even from a child's eyes. Paris is extremely congested. One of the things that will always stick with me is the fact that, yes, there was a huge language barrier with everybody there. It's very close to visiting New York City as a foreigner. Mm -hmm. Everybody is speaking a different language. It's just not the same. And interesting that it's most common among the people of Japanese culture. Japan is very congested as well. And they also... So shouldn't they be used to it then? Exactly. I find this really interesting because people... From Asian culture, in my experience, living in Asia, want to visit places like Paris. So, yes, I can understand why. I mean, I want to. I don't know anymore. I can see why you might want to because of the pictures that they show. But it's not like that in reality. Guys, it's super congested. (laughs) You want a baguette? Like, you're going to have to get in line for about two hours so you can get your baguette. This, uh, it just doesn't make sense. People hold such a high expectation of Paris. This vision that they have of just a perfection, a heavenly Paris. But they get there and it's just like anywhere else. And there's people walking around everywhere. There's pollution. There's fences blocking off all the shit that you want to see. You're like, well, this is kind of just like anything else I've ever seen. Why would you be so deeply mortified by that to where just in Paris and mainly with Japanese people that you would be so mortified by this travel expenditure that would make you not even know who you are anymore? My theory for that is that people that have lived in Japan their whole entire lives, even even with Americans or anybody in any culture, when you close your eyes and you think, when someone asks you a question like, where would you like to visit if you could go anywhere? Because, you know, believe it or not, there are people in America that have not left their home state. So when you go, hey, where would you like to visit? 
You know what? One of the most common answers actually I want to see the Eiffel Tower. It's Paris. Yeah. So for these people, I'm only saying Japan because that's where the facts are coming from. That's where the facts lie. For this particular Mm -hmm. syndrome. The people in Japan have this idealistic view of Paris, and I understand that. I've been to both, and I can tell you they are very, very different And it would be a complete culture shock, not only because maybe you just graduated college and your parents bought you a ticket to Paris. You've always wanted to go there, but you don't know the French language. I would assume a lot of people have similar syndromes from other countries visiting other countries. I mean, any country to any other country. I mean, they only discovered, apparently, 12 to 24 people out of 6 million Japanese that were afflicted with this. I want to know where that data is from. Exactly. That's something that really Exactly. Gets to me. Where the hell do you get that sort of data that is so obscure? I just don't understand it. Yeah. And then I can be like, oh, well, that's BS. Like, this is a dumb science graph. But no, in this case, we are... Like I said, on this website, and we're learning with (laughs) y'all. So it's just really like the curiosities of the world. There's a name and a syndrome and a disorder for everything. But there's also more logical ways to explain things than we're told, I believe. If you just use your common sense, how would they possibly come up with this syndrome? I feel like it's just a very vague and to the point name for a syndrome that so many like you said cultures already experience there's no you could be from hawaii visiting v spot in germany there's completely feeling what you call paris syndrome there's no way that anybody japanese or any culture can go to paris or any place knowing what it is It doesn't really matter if you have this glorified idea of what it's going to be and you're disappointed when you get there. None of that is going to make you forget who you are, make you not live in reality, have hallucinations like you just had the worst acid trip of your life. I do not believe that. There's no way just by physically going to Paris that that happens to you. When you think of the term hallucinations, Rob, what pops into your mind? To have hallucinations, you would have to be diagnosed with a mental illness from the start, or your perception is altered by a drug. Or, I mean, it can happen when you're sober. It can happen at any time. But just from going to Paris, I don't see a specific pattern in people that would develop this just by having false expectations of what a place is going to look like and what it's going to feel like and how you're going to experience it. Those just seem way far apart from each other. I think it's a crappy sub-terminology for culture shock. Hallucinations probably can vary on the spectrum of being minute, perhaps wishing you were not there and you were at home because culture shock, or 
It can also be on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is why I also need to know where these scientific facts come from. Yeah, it could be vivid memories right. or something. You could be completely traumatized from the amount of culture shock. I just think that maybe you're feeling such a strong sense of culture shock and you really want to go home. Maybe something happened at home. There's so many different variables to it that we can't really put our finger on it. And that's why I need some graphs. Exactly. And I don't believe in Paris syndrome. I don't believe in it. That's one I could say. I I just don't. I'm not buying that. And I'm very open-minded. I just don't buy that. Reduplicative amnesia we know what amnesia is rob when you think of amnesia what comes to your mind always the first thing that comes to mind is the jason bourne trilogy <laughs> the bourne identity the bourne ultimatum the bourne superiority whatever the hell the other one is but <laughs> yeah that's what reminds me of amnesia okay well whoever is listening I'm sure you have your own idea of what amnesia is. The born supremacy. There you go. <laughs> we have probably all dealt with somebody, or at least with three degrees of separation, someone that has experienced amnesia at some point in our lives. Maybe not remembering it, but it probably has happened. It's common. So, reduplicative amnesia is very similar to what we spoke about not that long ago. How the people are duplicates and there's imposters. The Capgra. The Capgra. The Capgra. Capgra. Yeah. Which, ironically, that was French, and then we mm -hmm. talked about the Paris Syndrome, so. Coup de gras. Instead of believing that people are duplicates, people that have reduplicative amnesia believe that a location has been duplicated. Hmm. This belief manifests in many ways, but always includes the sufferer being convinced that a location exists in two places at once. I could go on and on and on so, already all about this. Parallel universes. Okay. Yeah, basically. But just with locations, not with people. Um, that's interesting. The term... Reduplicative amnesia was first used in 1903 by neurologist Arnold Pick and described a patient with Alzheimer's. Today, it's most seen in patients with tumors, dementia, brain injury, or other psychiatric disorders. Okay. That makes sense. If you have listened to our show, you probably have picked up a little bit on who we are and what we collectively believe in here. And parallel universes is a thing for us at the Psychedelic well, Podcast. It's not a thing for us, you know. I never I... desired for that to be a reality, but I really do think there are split universes. Uh, in reference to our Mandela episode, you can kind of see the world as being split or being shifted, people being in multiple universes and or shifting back and forth between those universes because we're all starting to remember things differently. There's I bet people with this disorder are probably like, you are so full of shit 
when they talk to the doctors. There could hey, be the disorder, but just... You've got reduplicative yeah, amnesia. Reduplicative <laughs> amnesia could very well exist. I'm not doubting this. I'm just saying just already there probably are split universes. We've mastered time travel. It's been proven. You can research it. By we, I mean the people that control the wealth of this country and of this world. It's not as far-fetched to say that somebody went backwards or forwards in time and changed something that created a ripple effect that caused the universe to split into two different parallels where different decisions were made in each one. It's creating a duplicate. If you're changing things that already happened, that's a mind f- right there. Think about it. If there's two outcomes to one situation, there has to be two universes that stem from that decision. Mm-hmm. So that's how this could very well be plausible. This is something also that I really want to look into. Because Mm -hmm. of what we do know about astral projection, parallel universes, and whatnot. The multiverse, yeah. Yes. Not saying it's 100% factual, but you can make some sense out of it for sure. Right, and people that have brain tumors generally do experience things like this. I wouldn't say like this particular disorder but they experience things that we can't even understand their minds are in different place god bless them and because their minds are in this place that you're talking about they're able to accidentally tap into these things these different perceptions different psychological things that skew our perception of reality these things exist somebody has alzheimer's or dementia they're actually seeing those things or they're experiencing these things it's not made up because that's what they're experiencing like that's their reality reality is perception and you can choose to skew your perception however you want so when there's people that have these afflictions where their perceptions are forced to be skewed To say that they are, what they're saying is fictitious, their experience that they're having as they're going through these things. We don't know that. That's not true because they're actually experiencing those things. For them, right. For them, by the way that their perception is skewed by these different syndromes and these disorders, like they're actually experiencing those things. And notice how when we talked about reduplicative amnesia it says dementia brain injury and other psychiatric disorders what i find really compelling about that sentence alone is the fact that it says other psychiatric disorders doesn't go into depth about what the disorders are certain entities have tried to mask the fact that we all have the potential to harness our spiritual powers to access different dimensions, have out-of-body experiences, see the truth of the world, see wisdom, the greater undertones of our existence that is trying to be hidden from us every day of our lives. 
I think that this is just another way to mask it. Yeah, to give it a name, to give a title, to give a disorder to somebody that would think that there's alternate realities that, that so exist. Oh, you have reduplicative amnesia syndrome. That's what they do. Like if you break out of the matrix and you experience different things that unlock greater truths of life, you're going to get dubbed a crazy person. I know that people that are listening don't fully agree with a lot of the time. There is a reason that we are in top 50 for philosophy in the United States. It's sort of important to develop your own opinions about things. It is philosophy. Because there's no end game to the development of knowledge that you can have and the conclusions that you can come to to anything in life philosophers are titled philosophers for a reason they came up with a philosophy about something that does not mean it's true a lot of it does have truth with it but theoretical but it's all theoretical it's waiting to be furthered by people so like if something doesn't make sense to you and you're like wait but this person said it and everybody believes this to be true You might be that person that's going to be like, wait, let's really look at this. Let's use our common sense and let's really combined knowledge. Let's really. Yeah, let's evaluate on this further. That's what we're told not to do, to not question anything, to not examine anything further. The thing is, is that we all have the power to really delve into all these mysteries of life and uncover something spectacular that nobody has ever found before and and people limit themselves because they think all these philosophers and all these people that are told that have the ultimate answers to everything is the greatest that it can get to but really we can all uncover truths in life like don't be afraid to uncover something if you think it's wrong or you think that you have something more to add to something we need to keep advancing not everything is even close to figured out half the stuff we're told are lies so why not speak out against something if you feel a different way about it or if you feel that you've uncovered a greater truth to something the stendhal syndrome i love this sounds Sounds norwegian i was just (laughs) wow thank you robert for finishing my sentence because that is exactly what i thought i'll get better at it well you already obviously did so no get better at not finishing sentences (laughs) it's a psychosomatic illness the stendhal syndrome it's seemingly only temporary and this occurs when the person that is suffering from it is exposed to a large amount of art oh in one place or in other environments characterized by extreme beauty really I guess anybody that Wait, comes so, into my existence is so going to have the Stendhal syndrome. Too much just kidding. art in one place or... Too much beauty, too much Tina Marie. Or just a lot of beauty in one place. Okay. They can handle it. Interesting. So those who experience this potentially scary mental disorder report sudden rapid heartbeat normal. When you were attracted to something, right? Sounds like trauma. Sounds like your Not dad. Your dad like, I'm attracted to that. Your so dad like, put your head through a painting when you were younger. Like he 
Or your heart a painting onto your head. Or your heart speeds up when you see something attractive, like a normal oh, physical like, thing that happens in the like body. Sexually attractive? That's what I'm getting from it. I'm not getting it. It says it's scary. They say that it is, we'll but see. I don't see that it is. They also experience overwhelming anxiety, confusion, dizziness, and even hallucinations. These are Gosh. all things that I think are based on as a human, when you're attracted to something beautiful, like art, then you're going to okay. experience these things. This makes no sense. This, this is the makes dumbest. no sense. It's the dumbest so dumb. Syndrome. That goes against being Sorry, a guys. human. We're meant to experience. We're meant to experience beauty and love beauty and be in awe of beauty and appreciate beauty. So this stems from. Uh, some guy with the same last name as the name of the syndrome in the 19th century. He's a French author. And this comes from his experience in the early 1800s when he took a trip to Florence during the Renaissance. Italy, so everything was colorful. Yeah. Italy, where you're from, Rob. Florence is in Italy. I can understand Italians are beautiful people. So they went from sort of a dull... <laughs> as aesthetic of life and then they go to florence and it's the renaissance and there's all these beautiful musicians and colors and artists and paintings and museums so he had a little bit of a panic attack in my opinion he probably had a freaking panic attack from that because he wasn't used to it but i don't think that anybody could feel this Okay, the large amount of art in one place, I can see that. You can correlate that to being claustrophobic, too many people around you, whatever. Too many abstract fear of art. designs. Okay, but fear of, fear of something that has extreme beauty. How many people have you killed before you went to the museum? What? If somebody is petrified of beauty, then they're probably a serial killer, right? I mean, is that outlandish? Yes. Unless somebody traumatized them and drowned them in a pool of beauty, or tried to drown them in a pool of beautiful artwork, so I I don't know. There's a few here that I just I just can't, with my common logical sense, can't come to agree with some of these things, like Paris syndrome and this allergy to beauty. I can't get. I can't. And we don't mean any offense if you are out there suffering with one of these syndromes and you have been told this by whoever. I actually really want to know your story, so please give us an email on tbdbcrew at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook, the Psyche-Delic Podcast. Find us on YouTube, where you can watch live streams that do not get converted to audio. It's literally... The name of our podcast, the Psyche-Delic Podcast, and there's a lot of cool content on there. Shout out to our sponsor, Artie Hoffman. It is the season to be hitting Artie Hoffman up. Go to ArtieHoffman.com. First of all, tis the season to get a reading. Tis the season to be... A kiki. My, oh, that's our cat, by the way, guys. Also... To add on to the YouTube thing, we just completed uploading all of our episodes to YouTube. Every one of our podcast episodes is all there. You can also find all of these amazing live streams that Tina does, not only on our YouTube, but 
on her Facebook page, on the Psychedelic Podcast page. They're all there. Help us help you bring you better content. So we're going to put up a poll on the Psychedelic Podcast page, and we are going to ask you guys what you think we should kick off Season 3 with, which will start at the beginning of November. So in a couple of days, let us know what we should kick it off with. And if you've honestly made it this far, feel free to message us. We will be in contact with you. We want to make friends. We love people. And just, you know, check out what you can. Tina definitely likes people more than I do. I like most of you guys. You know, (laughs) I'm just being honest. He hates everyone. You just got to prove yourself. I like to say that I love most people, but I don't... Uh, I'm not going to pretend I don't just automatically feel love for everybody. Tina does, without a doubt. It's harder for me. I'm a very loving person. If somebody is lovable, I can show love to them. But if somebody sucks, everybody has love. Everybody has the potential to be loving. But if they're not embodying it, then I can't fake and say that, oh, I really like or I love that person. I don't. Not saying that I never could come to feel that way. I just, I don't at that time. Right now, I don't love most people. It's hard to. It's really hard to. But I have love for everybody, everybody that's going through something right now. There's a lot of shit going on in the world. Thank you guys for listening. Stay strong out there in this very very peculiar time in the world we're here for you reach out to us we're very down to earth and normal people we will listen to you and we not will normal but authentically yeah. genuinely respond to you and try to help with whatever because helping somebody else can be therapeutic for yourself so we're trying to start that cycle also we have a huge convention coming up. Ten bucks. You get to see people like Luke Null, who's been on SNL, and Doc Brass, who's, like, amazing. Those are just two examples. But also, you get to engage in workshops, panels, etc. If you're interested in podcasting or you are a podcaster, there's always something you can learn. Come join our group on Facebook, Indie Pods United. I promise you won't regret it. It's a super wonderful community the event is happening it's virtual and live on twitch youtube and facebook from the 29th of november to december 3rd hashtag together we listen we love you guys thank you so much for listening to this episode if you're new here and you made it this far please subscribe because that would be cool of you yes definitely tune into the convention it's something that does not happen every day. If you're in the podcast world, consider it revolutionary and a great opportunity for you. There are certain catalysts. This is going to change the podcasting world. So if you're not already on board, I strongly recommend you do so. You're going to want to be a part of this. Trust me. So go to IndiePodsUnited.com. That will be in the description as well. Click on the button. It's a landing page right now, but that's going to change very soon. Just go check it out. And if you have any questions, 
Email us at IndiePodsUnited at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook. That's the easiest way to get at us. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We don't usually do a lot of these. We are looking forward to more panel episodes in the future. You know, life happens. Things get in the way. But I know you love us, so stay tuned. We are the original panel of non-experts. We are signing off, so until next time... 